This is just a lie. This is just Pete Carroll saying anything because he's a dumb whore. Okay? (laughs) I love it. You're listening to Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Brutally honest sports talk. And now, here is Mike Jansen. A lot of things to talk about as we say hi and welcome you to this 517th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We are here. As I like to say, I hope things are as well as they possibly can be. Wherever you're listening to this edition of Unscripted, we took a couple weeks off, or a week off, I should say, to take care of some business, and we just had a great episode 516 as we uh, completed our 2020 uh, Major League Baseball draft, which was a lot of fun. The nuclear draft of 2020. I really enjoyed that, and it was fun to pour, you know, just fun to think about guys playing with different teams and they're currently playing with right now and that was a lot of fun and I hope that you folks have uh, as much fun listening to that episode as it was to produce that one a lot of things to talk about though as we get back to kind of normal programming here on unscripted we take a look at things that are making news and notes from the wonderful and wacky world of sports and a lot of things to talk about surprisingly even though I get tired of prima donna rich athletes bitching about not going to play unless they get this that and the other thing and then they seem to forget about how many millions of people around the world that don't even have a job to go to on monday morning and it's just incredulous to me that these athletes just are so seemingly so selfish and i know i know they've got a short shelf life and all this other stuff and their earning capacity and you know they're so stupid that ups won't even hire them when their basketball career is over but Obviously, um, they've got to start thinking outside the box here and realize what kind of time and place that we're living in. But I, I got to start, though, with something that I think is anybody that is really paying attention to this coronavirus stuff and the ramifications of opening things up too early. I heard this morning, in a matter of fact, reading something on CTV News that there has been the start of a second wave of this in Beijing, China, with like a thousand cases just yesterday in Beijing. So, folks, we're not out of the the woods yet. I mean, it's great to see competitive golf, even though it's weird to see no fans. But uh, it was also fun to listen to Brooks Kepka swear on the golf course yesterday and Jim Nance having to sit there and apologize for him. What do you expect? No fans. You're going to hear a few F-bombs. You're going to hear a few, you know, things that normally you wouldn't hear if there were fans milling around the golf course. But I got to start from the uh, world of the National Communists Against Athletes, otherwise known as the NCAA. And again, you knew this this was a possibility this was going to happen. Sure enough. The state of Texas opened up their facilities on their college campuses, I think within the last couple of weeks, in regard to they were opening up the uh, for the student athletes to come in and and do their involuntary voluntary excuse me they could be there if they wanted to let's get it right here mike you idiot all voluntary student athlete workouts at the university of houston have been stopped this was on uh yeah as of yesterday they have all been stopped after six athletes tested positive for coronavirus and again when you see this you got to wonder as i welcome in the boss and say hello to the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, and I, I pose the question to Chris. I suppose when you see stuff like this, 
all-voluntary student-athlete workouts at the University of Houston have been stopped after six athletes tested positive and they have been quarantined and everything else. But if you're sitting there and you're the doctor for the NBA or the doctor for the National Hockey League or the doctor for the NFL, even though it doesn't really affect the NFL quite yet in regard to, I mean, it has affected the NFL, obviously, but I mean in regard to getting their games back and get their get their schedules back but this is something when you see news like this my friend that um this has got to concern the commissioners and the doctors for the leagues and everybody when it's only been a couple of weeks and already the university of houston and they won't be the first ones but in this dubious category they seem to be the first ones that have stopped all uh, student-athlete workouts at the University of Houston because six athletes have tested positive for coronavirus. This has got to be huge for the professional sports leagues that are that close to getting started again. Well, look, I mean, overall, as a society, we're just waiting for a vaccine or a cure because society is too disjointed. There's too many countries and too many states and too many different jurisdictions where everyone's doing all different stuff. And, you know, some people are really participating and doing their best, and some people are just you know, think it's all a government conspiracy and no one tells me what to do and blah, blah, blah. And, and so it's it's not going to be ever perfect until we actually have a vaccine or a cure. In the meantime, though, I don't see any reason that there should be any difficulty with the sports leagues as long as they create these hubs, these bubbles where, okay, anyone who enters here gets tested and you find out what the, their status is. Okay, they're good to go. Great. So now everyone in this bubble doesn't have it. You can't magically get it unless you get it from someone who has it. So if no one is uh, going to come in who's tested positive or who is positive, then you're fine. And so I don't see any issue with that. Even the UFC with Fight Island, uh, it's a 10 square mile area where there won't be anyone in there except for essential personnel who have all been tested. So as long as you do this, the sports organizations, I think, have a much easier time of it than society in general, where you just can't control everyone. You can create controlled environments you can create these bubbles these hubs whatever you want to call them in the sports leagues that's what the ufc is doing that's what the nhl is going to do i'm assuming that's what the nba is going to hopefully pull off as well and that's what's going on hopefully we can get some sense of normalcy by the fall for the nfl but who knows at this point so uh, i I think it's a society is one thing but in terms of the sports leagues i'm actually optimistic that they'll be able to pull this off just test everybody keep everyone in there it's like being in a biodome remember that type of stuff Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. it's it's like that so i'm actually optimistic about that well, I mean, I'm excited, and I, I'm just thinking, though, I mean, there's going to be comment, especially in the great state of, of, of Texas, that, you know, now that they've stopped at the University of Houston, you just wonder if there were some people that were sitting there, you know, kind of sitting on the line, hedging their bets, do they support moving ahead, or do we play it conservative and see you next year? And and obviously, there are just so many different opinions out there, and, and I am, you know, so excited to see competition again. And I am happy to report that I learned this morning before I came over uh, to uh, Chris's house that everybody was tested Thursday, excuse me, Wednesday after the pro, well, there wasn't a pro-am, but after the practice day Wednesday at the Charles Schwab Challenge uh, out there at uh, Fort Worth, Texas, uh, everybody was tested. They all were negative. So that's really good. They were all schwabbed. They were all, oh, very nice. <laughs> oh, that was They fun. were all schwabbed at the Charles Schwab PGA Tournament from Fort Worth, Texas. And one good news after the first two rounds, 
there might have been a Jordan Spieth sighting. Oh my God. Jordan Spieth is in second place behind some guy named Harold Varner III after two rounds <laughs> of the Charles Schwab PGA Tournament in Fort Worth, Texas. So maybe, maybe the slump is over for uh, Mr. Spieth. I don't know. But you, you, brought up, you, you brought this up about the Fight Island, and this week we were fortunate enough to find out that Fight Island is located, as Chris, I believe, mentioned, in Abu Dhabi. So let's go to the UFC. Let's talk about it. couple things there I want your comments on. Uh, any validity? I mean, I, I know even that in the three years that you and I have been together, Conor McGregor has retired <laughs> numerous times. Yeah. It's kind of like my golf game. When I go bad, I quit. And I've retired 29 times from golf. I, I surprisingly come back every time. But uh, anything that surprises you about uh, Conor McGregor's retirement? And then I also want to hear, there's been a lot of noise in the UFC about that idiot John Bone Jones, Bones Jones, and then, of course, with McGregor's retirement and, and some of the talent. And, of course, we lost... GSP seemingly a couple years ago hasn't fought again uh but then I hear about a match potentially between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic which excites me because not only that but I remembered Miocic's name and how to say it correctly so I should be given the big gold star for that but anything you can update the uh, listeners of Unscripted about that and any uh, opinions and comments you have about this latest rendition of Conor McGregor's retirement, I'd love to hear them from you right now. Well, first of all, let's just briefly talk about what a piece of shit John Jones is, as always. I love to talk about him. Yeah, and look, the fact that an idiot piece of shit cop who deserves the death penalty kneeled on a guy's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds does not mean that a guy who makes millions of dollars per fight is underpaid. Right. Now, he may be underpaid, you know, and just like everyone else is underpaid, but John Jones being short of money is not the lesson we should take from George Floyd, okay? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, it's almost as if he has a, a selfish agenda and doesn't care about the real issue and just wants more money because he's a greedy asshole. Anyway, <laughs> oh, it's always the same thing with that guy. Um, Conor McGregor. I like Conor McGregor. I think people like Conor McGregor. He's got this fun, boyish charm, right. yep. and he's living his best life, as the kids would say, and he's he's out there. And But he retires every year now, and I'm getting kind of tired of it. It's like, oh, hey, I know, you know, Anthony Jeselnik has this excellent stand-up special called Thoughts and Prayers, and he talks about the virtue signaling problem, which is when there's a big catastrophe, there's a big issue. And he made this, this is years ago, this special, but he, he said, you know, people post, Oh, I know that whoever is, you know, suffering right now, but uh, they're in my thoughts and prayers. And, and when, what does that mean? When someone goes on social media and posts about how concerned they are, you know, Justin Lick says, they're saying, Oh, Hey, don't forget about me. I know other stuff's going on, but don't forget about little little old me. I need attention too. And that's really what Connor's doing here. There's a worldwide pandemic. Uh, there's issues about fighter pay and timing things and no crowds and no live gates to pay Connor McGregor how much he expects to get paid. And so now he needs attention. And I, I'm kind of running out of patience with him. I, I don't dislike him yet, but he's he's getting ridiculous. Like nobody even believes it. 
Like, and he just, and I hate how these places report it like it's the gospel here. It's just, oh, uh, oh, oh, like within an hour, I mean, everybody, ESPN has headlines, Conor McGregor retires, just desperate clickbait, and it's really annoying. He's not retiring. I actually am tempted to just go on a, uh, on an online bet site and try and find, see if I can get good odds on will Conor McGregor fight again. I have to imagine that you wouldn't get very uh, good odds to say yes, but you never know, I guess. He's, it's ridiculous. He's, he's done that at least one or two times too many now, and he needs to give it a rest. Connor, don't look like such a tourist here. Get serious. <laughs> I like and, that. And, tourist. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and stop fucking around, okay, man? Okay, uh, with Fight Island. This is cool, but the mistake Dana made was when he said Fight Island. And what happened? Everybody, including us, we came on here and said, man, let's have it on the beach, and let's have the sunset in the right, background, right, and right. let's have... Whatever else is have palm trees and it'd be cool. There'd be a nice gentle breeze and it'll be the coolest thing ever and the coolest visual. Well, Dana's rained on that parade. <laughs> for but it's his own fault. And, and look, we like Dana White, but it's his own fault for getting everyone's imagination going, just cryptically announcing Fight Island and then doesn't announce what it, that actually means for three months. Of course, we're going to picture things like that. So here's what he said about that. He said, first of all, the lighting grid, you couldn't put the lighting grid on a beach you could try it. I don't think it's going to turn out very well. I'm always afraid of the elements. Wind, rain, all the things that can happen. I like the comfort and safety of an arena. That's what I'm into every single time we go out and do it. Pulling off what the fantasy of Fight Island was is pretty tough, and I think it would look like shit on TV too. Those are exact uh, verbatim words from Dana White. Um, but, I mean, yeah, he, he really shouldn't have got us excited because I've always wanted something like that, and, and that's kind of too bad. I appreciate what he's saying. The logistics are tough, but... He probably shouldn't have let us get all excited like that now. Oh, and now it's just an arena. However, it is actually on an island. It's called Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. And uh, he said, it's an incredible thing that we've pulled off. They have this thing called the safety zone, which I alluded to earlier here. It's 10 square miles where only we exist on the island at the hotel, restaurants. Every fighter has their own private training facility. Right. Well, this is the United Arab Emirates. They go first class on right. all, all the stuff. They got right. the money and they spend it uh, very well. Uh, it's going to be a unique experience. Very cool is what Dana says there. So very exciting. It's also going to be the full 30 foot proper regulation uh, size octagon. For some reason at their own facility, the Apex facility in Vegas, it's only a 25 foot octagon, oh. which they've been using the last little bit. I don't know why at your own facility oh, yeah. of all places, why would you not have a proper sized one? But uh, this will be the full 30 foot octagon in Abu Dhabi. And, uh, you know, it should be a great thing. No sunset and ocean waves and surfers in the background, notwithstanding. That's great. And the last thing, Stipe and Daniel Cormier, this will be for the greatest heavyweight of all time. Uh, really, I mean, unless Miocic really slaughters him, Cormier outclassed him. That's his only... It took until Cormier was 40 years old and had one foot out the door before even someone as great as Stipe could beat him. And in fairness, these guys have fought for five rounds and Cormier completely dominated him for four uh, you know, he, he knocked him out in the first round. That's not even Cormier's specialty, but he knocked him out in the first round the first time. In the second one, he was up three rounds to nothing on all the scorecards, and he just kind of made a mistake. I mean, in fairness, it seemed like uh, Miocic, who is an excellent, excellent game planner, brilliant game planner. We saw it against Nganu, yep. yep. and he, he found a certain, was it a hook? It was some punch that he found was working. And I think Cormier, now I'm forgetting, but I, I saw the fight, but I think Cormier was having trouble kind of blocking his body on the one side. And Miocic found that and 
took advantage of it and eventually knocked him out in the fourth round. But other than that one excellent adjustment, Cormier has dominated him. And so I hope Cormier wins here because to me, he is the greatest heavyweight of all time, undefeated, uh, both in the early days and the later days, other than the last fight against Miocic. And I, I'm def- Miocic is cool, but I'm definitely cheering for Cormier all the way. I want to switch gears um, and go to the National Hockey League. And as I made brief mention at the end of uh, episode 516 was that there are three Canadian cities in the National Hockey League, the Edmonton, Edmonton, Toronto, and Vancouver. Those three cities are expecting to hear by the end of this upcoming week that the federal government's quarantine restrictions will be amended for players returning to Canada. The current policy is that any person that enters the country has to self-isolate and quarantine for 14 days. Representatives of these three cities are expecting to hear good news from the Canadian federal government. Uh, As I made mention, uh, again, at the end of uh, 516, that uh, I think it is almost paramount now for the National Hockey League. Because, as I've stated many times on previous editions of our little program, is that I truly believe that Messrs. Bettman and Daly have really been kind of steering the ship through this, and they have been adamant since going back to March, middle of March, that the National Hockey League will award a champion this year. And I appreciate the hard work that they have put in and um, all the things that they're trying to do. And, and I made mention that those two are dealing with a lot of different things in regard to the different franchises in regard to they've got seven franchises in Canada and six of them are in different provinces. And, and there's a whole bunch of different intangible things that Bettman and Daly are dealing with that probably aren't of the same magnitude that, that uh, uh, Goodell and uh, Manfred and uh, Mr. Silver are dealing with in their respective leagues. Just because, again, the the number of franchises that are in Canada. But I don't, I can't see now a way that these hubs for the National Hockey League can't be. They have to be in Canada now. Canada has had a couple of outbreaks, but really we have flattened the curve in Canada. Um, There have been, and I think this is just because of the sheer population numbers. I know uh, Doug Ford the premier of the province of Ontario is a little frustrated that the numbers are are still higher than he would like in the Toronto and the GTA and, and Ontario, but they've got, you know, 60, let's say 50 to 60% of the population of this great country reside in the province of Ontario. So they have, they're susceptible to more outbreaks. But I can't tell you folks how adamant it is, in my opinion, that these hub cities for the National Hockey League, when they start this 24-team tournament, basically, um, I think it's paramount that they have the hub cities in Canada. Uh, I really do. I think that there is much of a lesser chance that any of the athletes contract coronavirus in this hub scenario in Canada versus the United States right now. And I think that I'm very anxious to see what the federal government proposes by the end of this upcoming week. But I truly believe that the West should be in Edmonton. And I would maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we do this. I don't know. But why don't we think about, of those three, why don't we put, see, I don't think they can afford to go to Toronto yet. Yeah. 
I think Toronto still got too much coronavirus stuff going around just because of the mass numbers of people there. I think maybe we put the West in Edmonton and put the East in Vancouver or something like that. Or maybe we look at Winnipeg like you had suggested before. It'd be nice, as I suggested before, if we had a team in Quebec City now to use that brand new city or that brand new facility in Quebec City. I don't know. I know Montreal, close proximity to New York, still quite heavily with the COVID cases, but I I just think for pure safety in regard to the National Hockey League athletes, I think they would be much better off just looking at the raw numbers and the news that you get every day and every day and every day about where the hotspots are, where it's getting better. I think the National Hockey League would really uh, be advantageous to take advantage of a Canadian city to be the hub for both the East and the West in this 24-team relaunch of the National Hockey League season. Yeah, well, Edmonton has to be a slam dunk, no-brainer at this point. The newest and best facilities, northernmost, good uh, weather for this time of the year, and as far from the U.S. border as possible. And so Edmonton's just automatic. I mean, it doesn't matter if you put the West or the East there because... As Bill Daly has said, I mean, there is some concern about putting Edmonton in Edmonton if oh, there's a play. Yeah, I didn't so, read that this week. I didn't see that. So it is likely, just so that there's no possible perceived advantage of any kind, whether it's just being at your own facilities or whatever, even if you're staying in a hotel in your own home city, uh, there's a good chance that the Edmonton Oilers will play in the other hub city, wherever that is. Oh, okay. Right? So, but not for sure. I mean, if they do put the West teams in the West and the East teams in carolina or something then i guess then they would have to do it that way they'd have to put edmonton in edmonton but they're looking at everything i do think bedman and daly do a good job of planning so i'm sure they'll come up with something here but edmonton for sure it's just automatic and then i don't know uh two of the worst cities though in the states with the whole riots and everything have been seattle and minneapolis now you know, if you're in Winnipeg, does Minneapolis affect Winnipeg? They're probably far enough away that it's... It's it's pretty far. <laughs> Plus, yeah. there's the border. Right. And I don't... Th- I mean, there's been protests in Canada, but nothing like what's in the U.S. So Absolutely. Vancouver... But I mean, Vancouver, I don't really trust because it's such a left-wing city and Seattle's just a complete gong show right now. And and those are even... Those are a lot closer than Winnipeg. So it is to Minneapolis. So I'd probably... I'd love to see Winnipeg, but it sounds like they're not in the running right now. Well, again, I'm just reporting the three cities that they were talking about uh, from the story that I got this morning, Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver. So uh, I don't know... I'm going a little off topic here, but we can do that here in Unscripted. I'm surprised as to why there's so much uh, protesting and riots in Seattle. Oh, I, I'm not at all. That's... Because that's the type well, of... Well, let me just... Yeah. I, I, I've got to relay a story. Uh, a friend of mine I was on the phone with this weekend, or this week, earlier this week, in Seattle. And um, these... Well, I, you know, you can't call them anything else but hillbillies or, or whatever. These uh, just not real bright white guys. Mm-hmm. This guy in Seattle this week, um, according to this friend of mine, I have not seen the story, but you know, I, 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 there was no reason for this person to, 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 to lie to me. Supposedly some white guy asked two Asian Americans, they had a mask on, to take their mask off 
because a lot of Americans think that that's a weakness to wear a mask. I think if I do get to the to the United States in early August, I've got to have a mask. I'm not going anywhere without a mask in the United States. I'm sorry. Um, but supposedly this this hillbilly, the lady and her daughter would not take their masks off, so this guy shoots them. In Seattle? Yeah. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. I'm just I, I'm just incredulous as to I get Minneapolis because obviously that's where the that's George Floyd thing happened. And George Floyd, I know that there's been a lot of upheaval in Houston because that's originally where George Floyd was from. But I don't understand the connectivity and why the I mean, I can understand the protests. The protests have been everywhere. The protests have been in Vegas, the protests have been in LA, they've been in Phoenix, they've been everywhere. But um, I just can't understand the volume of the the actual uh, nastiness that's going on in Seattle. I mean, I knew Seattle is a little different. They're all probably, you know, on caffeine highs all the time. But I just didn't know. I mean, maybe I maybe I'm maybe I'm naive. I obviously don't know. But I'm just kind of incredulous as to why all the violence seemingly a lot of it is stemming from seattle i mean i i maybe something you've read maybe something i haven't read i'm just i can under again i can understand uh minneapolis i can understand houston new york has had some problems big city obviously yada yada but seattle seattle surprised me a little bit i i just i'm I'm just making a comment there i'm not reflecting anything i'm just wondering why seattle has been so active in regard to these uh these uh, protests, uh, i.e. riots, in regard to the ongoing distrust, if you will, uh, in regard to the systematic, that's the word of the week I've learned this week, is the system, yeah, systematic racism and not uh, trusting your local law enforcement agencies, obviously, but I'm just incredulous as to why there has been so much violence in the city of Seattle. Oh, well, just all these really, really left-wing places, that's where there's always a real hatred for the cops anytime, not just now, but just all the time. I mean, Portland, Oregon has been a disaster for a long time. Seattle is just known as not a nice place for new people to move to. It's where grunge came from in music. I mean, you you name it. There, it's very gray. There's not a lot of sun. People have severe vitamin D deficiencies and and don't feel very happy. Good point. Right, and it's just it's just a. And then when you factor in the left wing whole Pacific whatever thing that uh, you know California suffers from, like all these terrible cities, even before the pandemic or before George Floyd or anything like that the really crappy crumbling cities where there's not good law and order, where there's homeless people everywhere, tent cities, you name it. And just, there's no strength to do anything about it. It's just kind of leave it there. And it's almost like you're self-loathing and you just want to see it there because it just reminds you of what a piece of shit you are. Um, (laughs) You get that all along the West coast, California, Oregon, and and Washington. That's where it happens. And as soon as you get away from the ocean, you uh, you don't see this so much, and it's just it, it's it's a it's kind of a rotten place. And I drove through Seattle once, and it didn't stop. It didn't even stop. Just really? drove, just drove through Vancouver. I was driving from Vancouver to San Francisco. Oh, okay. And it, it you just didn't went down I five. I guess yeah. I just went down the coast, and that was it. And yeah, it, I never even stopped. So and I and I don't regret it. And this was two thousand four. So it's a long time ago, but. Uh, it just doesn't appeal to me. I lived in Vancouver. It was okay, but I mean, it's got some of those weird left-wing tendencies as well, and uh, I, it it doesn't surprise me at all to see 
Seattle like this. So it, it it's a disaster. It's bad. I mean, I'm I haven't watched any news lately, but I was watching Bill Burr on the new Joe Rog on the Joe Rogan podcast last night and accidentally saw some of the stuff like how they let people just kind of overrun city hall and they've got some some warlord has taken over like six blocks with guns and stuff it's just like like it's out of a movie i mean it's just completely ridiculous and so yeah it, it's a, it's a disaster and uh yeah we you can't go to seattle that's for sure and I, i'm concerned that vancouver is is that I, not that i think they're going to care about the nhl or anything but uh i just don't like that vancouver is that close either well, the uh, chairman of the board just walked into the studio, so with her honor being here, we have to talk about this. Butt chin, Texas uh, Texans head coach Bill O'Brien as we switch gears to the National Football League. O'Brien says, and I quote, he's all in for taking a knee with the players. And my question, quick, real quickly, to anybody out there in unscripted land, but obviously right here to my partner and friend, now that we know that the butt chin is going to be in and, and he's all for taking a knee with the players because that's been a big topic this week is who's going to be taking a knee, that and which team is going to give Colin Kaepernick a job. But do you think that all NFL coaches or any NFL coaches will follow suit of what the Texans head coach and general manager Bill Buttchin O'Brien is going to do this year on the sideline? Well, no one cares about Bill O'Brien, and everything he does is wrong if you look at his trade. So, therefore, <laughs> if, if, if I'm if, if I'm an African American right now, the last guy I want on my side is Bill O'Brien. So that's that's got to be disappointing for those guys. But in in all seriousness, uh, okay, so we kneeled before and it didn't do anything. Look, and I'm I understand the frustration and the whole thing, and I just. It, it's it's really annoying. I, I know there's frustration. I know nobody knows the perfect answer. Uh, defunding the police isn't the answer. I know a lot of people want to push through their own agenda, anarchy, or whatever it oh is. Oh, my God. You defund the police, and you've just got massive troubles. Yeah, of course you do. It's a, it's a joke, right? So, anyway, these people are not, um, you know, adults who have any experience in the real world. A lot of them are just, you know, angst-filled youngsters who are overprivileged and all that. So, right. But anyway, yeah, no, I mean, look. Let's be clear. There's only one proper punishment for that Chauvin guy who killed George Floyd. Yep. And it's not just the death penalty. It's, you know, it's specifically, okay, how do you do the death penalty with this guy? It's not the electric chair. You don't draw and quarter him. You you literally just put your knee on his neck yeah. and, and until he's dead. And then that's the lesson, right? Like, you don't do that or else it happens to you too and you're gone. So, I, I mean, and in similar to how the Astros weren't punished and so now everyone's still pissed off and no one can move on. You need to really send a message with this Chauvin guy and all of his four cop buddies or whatever that stood around doing nothing. You have to punish the shit out of all of them. And even then, it probably won't be enough to satisfy people. But hopefully it leads to some sort of reforms. Um, but I mean, honestly, whether players kneel or not, the reforms are going to happen or they're not. I, I think that there is certainly an appetite for you know we've gotten police body cams are normal now mm -hmm. yeah. and so that was a good step in the right direction and uh we did we need to keep working on that we need to hold police accountable but disrespecting police and acting like they're all mean or all evil or all racist isn't going to solve anything either so we we i think things are moving in the right direction society is is trying to move in the right direction there's certainly too many problems with police brutality against all races but uh, black people seem to be a real strong target here for sure but with the Kaepernick thing Pete Carroll came out and and speaking of coaches that are full of shit yeah 
There's one. Pete Carroll came out and said he regretted not signing Colin Kaepernick when they tried him out. Right. If he, and I reference this all the time when yes, they tried out Kaepernick and he didn't get the job. And he said, and this is just a lie. This is just a lie. This is just Pete Carroll saying anything because he's a dumb whore. Okay? <laughs> I love it. He said this week, and I'm not kidding. I'm not making this up. He said that the only reason that they didn't sign Colin Kaepernick years ago when he tried out and was out of the league was because he had too much respect for Colin Kaepernick and he couldn't see him being a backup quarterback. Well, then why did you bring him in? Right. Okay, there. Now I've, now I've completely disproven your lie. Right. You brought him in, so you're lying. Period. Yeah. You're going to replace Russell Wilson with Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. He, here's what actually happened. and Because I said at the time, I, I feel like I even said it on air. I said at the time, Colin Kaepernick is the right style of quarterback to bring in for a backup for Russell Wilson. You want a mobile quarterback. Correct. Obviously, you you can make him run kind of the same plays. Won't do as good a job as Russell Wilson, who's another black quarterback who's awesome, right? You know, it's not like there's... I don't see any racism against Russell Wilson in the league, right? Because he's fucking amazing. But Colin Kaepernick could run the similar types of plays. I think RG3 is a good backup for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, right? It makes sense. You can run the same plays. RG3 kicked ass in Week 17 last year. Absolutely. Another black quarterback, a black quarterback who's very, very intelligent, RG3. Let's be clear here. These guys do exist in the league right now, for being fair. But Colin Kaepernick got beat out for the job by Austin Davis. (laughs) I have two bad knees, and I'm more mobile than Austin Davis is. I think I can maybe throw the ball as far as Austin Davis, maybe at this point. And I can't stand Austin Davis, who, by the way, is white. And Austin Davis cost Greg and I potentially six figures. Really? We had a perfect ticket, and it ended up with with our pools uh, ticket. It ended up with five perfect tickets, but one of them was Dallas to beat the Rams. This is... 2014 or so which was supposed to happen easily we had the rams so that would have been eliminated even more players so we would have won somewhere between our ticket would have been worth somewhere between 50 grand and a quarter million oh my all we needed was for the rams to beat the cowboys and the rams starring austin davis were up 21 nothing i know where this is going and austin davis interceptions and i don't know how to play and what am i doing here i don't know so fuck austin davis (laughs) And this immobile piece of shit beat out Colin Kaepernick, despite being the completely wrong style for that offense. Even with that handicap, he still beat out Colin Kaepernick. So that's what actually happened. Colin Kaepernick, years ago, was already not good enough. Colin Kaepernick was never good enough, other than... When he caught lightning in a bottle and was kind of, he was kind of doing what Lamar Jackson's doing now, but he's not. Oh, by the way, Lamar Jackson, another black quarterback who's awesome. It's not like, you know, there's, I I, I keep accidentally finding examples of great black quarterbacks here. We're not, Warren we haven't Moon. Even, haven't even talked about Cam Newton and however many other ones here. But Lamar Jackson is a very, very hard worker. Mm-hmm. Very hard worker. Yep. He wants to get better. He's already the best rushing quarterback of all time easily. He's already better than Michael Vick. He's already better than certainly Colin Kaepernick. And he works hard. He puts in the time. He puts his time in the gym. He puts his time in the film room. He works his ass off. 
Colin Kaepernick always felt he was too good for film. He felt he didn't need film. He didn't want to sit there and watch film and do film study, which is such an essential thing for a quarterback these days. And Colin Kaepernick wouldn't put in the effort. He thought he was too good or whatever his problem was. But the arrogance there is sickening. So Colin Kaepernick never could have been an elite quarterback, right? And when they went to the Super Bowl, uh, their defense was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. Was that the year... I don't know if that was the year where they almost didn't allow a rushing touchdown. But anyway, they were awesome. 2012. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been. Was that? It might have been the year where they got to the very end of the year before they allowed a rushing yeah, touchdown or something. 2012. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't give Kaepernick as much credit as the defense at that time. But anyway, Colin Kaepernick was good for a year or two, and that's it. I'll never forget when Colin Kaepernick was basically running the option. In 2013, in a divisional playoff game against the Ashwaubenon Packers, and he went for 182 yards rushing. Mm-hmm. That was his career moment. And he had the physical gifts to do that. Yes, because, well, because, absolutely. I mean, you can do all the film study you want. You can't do that if you don't have the physical gift. So he, it's not like he had nothing to offer. It's not like he was terrible. But anything he lacked was his own fault. Mm-hmm. He was given the genetics. Agreed. Right? He He just chose... To be lazy, unlike Russell Wilson, unlike RG3, unlike Lamar Jackson, unlike Cam Newton, unlike Warren Moon, unlike all these other guys that are awesome quarterbacks and happen to be black as well, Colin Kaepernick did not work as hard as those guys, period. And he didn't deserve the job. Can't disagree with one thing there, so I think we'll just put a wrap on this 517th episode of Unscripted. A lot of things to get to uh, in later episodes this week, but for right now, we'll put a wrap again on this 517th episode of Unscripted, and just please remind you with a little soft reminder that uh, if you'd be so kind to go to one of our different 18 ways of listening to Unscripted, and please take a few extra minutes to subscribe, and we would be eternally grateful. That is a great way to see this show go to places that we'd like to take it, and uh, if you can do that for us, that would be greatly appreciated by both of us here on Unscripted. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.